Most of our international partners have come from our church. Riley Little, you see she came through our student ministry, serving the Lord during college. Now she's serving the Lord after college. And you see the impact through her life. You say, well, how does that happen at our church? It happens really starting at a young age when we together, not only at home, which is the most important place, but also here together, we invest our lives and went through its relationships and building up the faith of the next generation so when they leave Grace, they want to continue to live for God and reach their college campus and even the nations as well. And we've seen that many times here at Grace. And I'm thrilled to just hear that announcement from Jesse. Jesse's a new student ministry pastor, if you haven't met him and his wife, Trish. And then three camps this summer, right? Because we've been waiting, it feels like, the whole year. Like, when are things going to pick up? And three camps this summer? Yes, we have our kids signed up for camp now. And today, I just invited a family that's never come to Grace, but was really interested in the camp. We're talking about rides and just inviting them to come to the camp. How many people know... a kid who uh, is in your neighborhood, is in your family. How many people just know a kid? Just curious. Raise your hand if you know a kid. Look at that. Everyone here is qualified to invite someone to camp this summer. Awesome. You are officially qualified. You are an inviter. Go for it. And you say, well, how do you get involved here at Grace? Because we're getting this question all the time. People coming to church for the first time at Grace have been watching online. Now they're coming. People returning to Grace say, well, what's going on? How can I get involved? Here's the easiest way to get involved. Our church phone number, you text the word serve. Just text the word serve, and then our team will connect with you. We'll tell you about over 20 ministries or so. We've got them listed, but we'll tell you what's going on, how you can get involved, how you want to serve, all the options that are there. You just text the word serve. And if you ask me, and this is going to be my bias, but if you ask me what's the greatest need right now at our church, I would say it's in the kids' classes. It's in the kids' classes because we have more and more kids coming from the community right now, and we don't have enough teachers and aides in the classes. I'm just being transparent with you. The greatest need we have right now is for people who are willing to say, you know what, I'll jump into a rotation, not every weekend, but you know, Saturday night, Sunday, I'll I'll be with the kids. I can share a little bit with the kids. That's the greatest need we have out of all the opportunities right now. So as, as Jesse highlighted, Pray about how is God leading you with the youngest generation right now to build them up and to serve them. We are in a series. We are going through the minor prophets in the Old Testament. What is God saying? Minor prophets are listening to God and then they're bringing forth God's message. What is God saying to you during this series, during this time of your life? When you read the Bible, what is he saying? When you're listening to the Holy Spirit, what is God saying during the day to you? And as we approach this book of Malachi, the corny joke would be like the Italian prophet Malachi, but we're not even going to do that. We're just going to say Malachi because that's way too corny. So uh, Malachi is the final prophet in the Old Testament, the final book in the Old Testament. And you'll find it if you reach Matthew, you've gone too far. Malachi, four short chapters. And this is about 400 years before Christ in Christ's birth. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Let's pray together as we get into God's word. Father God, thank you, Lord, that you communicate with us today. Lord, that you speak to us. We're so grateful, God, to have a relationship with you, to have two-way communication with you, and that you care so much about us, Lord, that you, you verbalize, you write down what you want us to hear. 
And so I pray that our ears and minds and hearts and souls would be open, Lord, to listen to you, to hear your voice, and to trust and follow you. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Malachi was a prophet. And when you open up the Bible and you look at the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4, you notice there's these five offices. Well, what are these offices? We have apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And these are gifts to the body that God raises up. You say, we really need all five. The Lord knows. Why do we need apostles? Apostles are the ones who blaze a new trail, sense where God wants us to go, and have the courage to say, let's do this. Apostles start new things. They're sent to new places. We need prophets because prophets speak truth. They don't shrink back. They're not afraid of people. In love, they're going to speak truth. Maybe when a lot of other people aren't going to speak truth in your life, you need some truth speakers who are going to be honest with you. That's prophets. Evangelists are saying, let's not overfocus on each other. Let's not just be consumed inwardly. There's a world out there that has needs. Let's share the gospel. Let's serve people. Let's go out beyond the walls of the church. The shepherds are going to say, come here, let me give you a hug. Let me bring you some comfort. But also shepherds guide. They're not just pushovers. They lead, they guide in some difficult situations. They guide and they comfort. And then teachers explain. We need to learn. We need to grow. We need new information. All of these part of God's body, part of God's plan. And even though you might not walk up to someone today and they're going to say, I'm a prophet. Uh, they might not say it that way. We all, we speak in these different voices. As I teach the Bible, as you read the Bible, you can hear the different voices in God's word. Sometimes in your life, I feel like as a parent, sometimes I'm a little more prophet mode, sometimes I'm a little more teacher mode, sometimes a little more shepherd mode. We need to, you know, and guide the kids to do evangelism as well in our neighborhood. These different modes, these different voices, it's part of God's word, it's part of God's body. And as we dive into this series, we're really focusing on the prophetic, the prophetic voice. This series might sound a little tense for that reason, because these prophets, again, they don't hold back. They don't dance around topics. They're going to get to the core of it. They're going to talk about the elephant in the room. They're going to be honest and deep, and that's the message and tone of the prophets. Malachi, his name literally means my messenger. By the way, you are God's messenger. You are God's ambassador. And you communicate all the time through your actions, your attitude, and your words. God's messenger. And then God has a message for the people then. God has a message for us right now. Let's be tuned in to God. Let's be teachable in our heart when it comes to God's message for us. Now, it's important to get the context as we're going through the prophets. And a lot of them land in the same stretch of time. Here's some dates and to go back and remember, 722, the Assyrians came in, invaded the north. That's the 10 tribes in the north. Really wiped them out in a lot of ways. Took over the land and they were in exile. They didn't really recover. And then 586, Babylon comes in and takes out the two tribes in the south, Judah. They pull them into exile in Babylon. But then Babylonians don't stay in power for that long. We have the Medes, the Persians step in. And Cyrus, a Persian king, has a change of heart compared to the Babylonians and says, you can return to the land. 537, they come back from exile. 536, they start to rebuild the temple. We just went through the book of Haggai. It's during that stretch, the temple's rebuilt. 516, it's completed. 
So then what's happening as we continue to move forward? More people returning Ezra, 458 BC. Ezra is going to tell the people, you need to turn from sin. It's not just about having a temple. Let's trust God. And then Nehemiah sees the city and is going to rebuild 444 BC, rebuilding the wall around the city. And all this is happening. And then we get to Malachi, about 440 BC. Malachi steps in, and this book is very unique. Malachi, he reveals a conversation. There's six conversations in these four chapters. This is the pattern for all six of the conversations. God makes a statement. The people push back, and then God brings clarity. All, it happens, those three steps happen six times, and maybe you can relate. God brings a statement. Maybe there's times where you feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, but I don't think so. I don't like it. I'm not believing it. And here comes the pushback, and then God's going to bring the clarity and validate his statement. There's six rounds of that in this short book. And tonight, I want to really highlight three reflection questions for us. And there's contrast in each question because there's options for the people then and there's options for us tonight. Three different questions to reflect upon and answer, not just with our words, but with our lives. And they're all really are you questions. Here's the first one. Are you defining God's love based on your expectations about life? Or are you refusing to take his love for granted? That was the decision they need to make then, and it's a decision we make today. Let's dive into Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you asked, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins, but this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel." You might have noticed, again, God makes a statement, the people respond, and God brings validation. We begin here with an oracle. It's a burden, in a sense, and you're carrying God's word. When God says something to you, reveals something to you, it's like an oracle, a burden, it's a message, it's like a fire shut up in the bones. And Malachi is carrying this. He says, this is the word of the Lord. Why would he make that statement? This is the word of the Lord. Two things. He wants the people to know the source is God, not himself. This isn't something he just came up with. This is coming from God, and the word of the Lord carries authority. The source is God, and this word has authority. What's the message from God? What is it that God wants to tell the people? More than anything else, what's the message? Here it is. I have loved you. That's the message. That's where everything starts in our faith. I have loved you. I have loved you, and I still love you. Even though you've rebelled, this is what I want you to know. I've loved you, and I still love you. And the people push back. They're like, come on. We're not feeling any kind of love. What do you mean you love us? 
And then God explains a little more. And this deep, faithful, reassuring love, the starting point, he says, I have selected you. This heartfelt love. They've been through a lot. He still loves them. And he still cares. And I want to refer to another book in the Old Testament here. Because this persistent, faithful, covenant-keeping love is really illustrated in the book of Hosea. Now, story with Hosea, he's another prophet. His wife is Gomer. They were married, but Gomer was unfaithful. Maybe you've seen that firsthand. A couple you know, one of them was unfaithful. And what happened in the marriage? Well, Gomer wasn't only unfaithful. She dove into prostitution. She was out there publicly as a prostitute. And God said to Hosea, I want you to go out and redeem, actually buy back your wife off this prostitution line because my love for the people is very similar. I have loved them and been faithful to them, but they have rebelled. They have prostituted themselves. They have found idols. They've chosen others. They've stopped worshiping me. They worship themselves. They worship false gods. They're like on the prostitution line. And when you go and bring Gomer back, even though she's been unfaithful to you, it's going to be a tangible demonstration of my love and how I want to bring the people back from their idolatry. And that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, what God called Hosea to do, God might call you to love some people that you didn't want to love, didn't feel like loving, and don't have the capacity to love without God's love filling your heart. And God explains in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. Maybe there's some parents in the room that the more you've loved your child, actually the further they've gone away from God and from you. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them as well. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. And yet, verse 7, my people are determined to turn from me. I love them. I cared for them. I remember when they were small. I walked with them. I provided healing. I fed them. And yet my people were determined to turn away from me. There's some pain in this passage. And uh, this kind of love that God has, it's not returned. Have you ever been in a relationship where you poured out your heart, you loved sacrificially, and it just wasn't returned? That's how God is feeling. That's how, and right here in this passage, the people are going to say, how have you loved us? <laughs> Where's the love, God? <laughs> how have you loved us? And, and really what they're unpacking is that, God, we had high hopes for our lives. We had some expectations for our lives, and we've got a lot of disappointment in our lives. We thought lives would look like this, and our lives look like this. Have you ever felt that? God, I thought with your love, by this age, by this time, you would have provided this, but I don't see this. All I have is that. And that's exactly where they were. More specifically, they didn't feel loved by God. And maybe there's times when you don't feel loved by God. What were the reasons? First of all, we're still governed by the Persians. 
They still have control over us. And then the prophets have declared that so many things are going to happen, but we have not seen what the prophets declared yet. Our harvest is kind of small. Our land is kind of small. We thought we'd have a bigger harvest and more land and more possessions. And God, you said that you would come into the temple. We have not seen you arrive in the temple like we heard. We just haven't seen it. You know, expectations are things that are so close to our heart, and sometimes they're unspoken. And when those expectations aren't met, it can be crushing and deflating. And that's how the people felt. They just lost their enthusiasm. They lost their enthusiasm to seek God, to worship God, to trust God, to live for God. And they started going through the motions, the religious motions. They were very religious. They were in a rut. Their relationship with God was not strong. They were in that kind of religious rut. Have you been there? And their hearts were hurting. They weren't abiding with God. And this is what God tenderly says to them, but with truth. He says, in love, I selected you. I chose you. I formed a covenant with you. I've redeemed you. I've guided you. I've provided for you. I've done these things for you because I love you. It wasn't because you were righteous. It's because I love you. And then he talks about Jacob and Esau. And you got to be careful with the language here. You know, hated one, loved the other. And some of us are theologically going, what's going on right here? It doesn't mean a literal hate. This is a comparison term, a contrast term. He says, notice Edom. Notice going back to Jacob and Esau. Edom has stayed in a pattern of self-righteous, self-sufficient. We're going to rebuild. We're going to do everything on our own strength. And God is saying, look at that. Look at that path that they're on. You know, before pride, uh, after pride, there's going to be destruction. That's the path they're on. They're stubborn. And God says, I selected you. Actually, it was the younger, not the oldest, that I gave a covenant to. And God loves everyone. But there's a contrast here between these two nations, between going back to these two children. And God chose the younger. And he's highlighting this to say, I chose you. I selected you. I've known you. I've cared for you. Look back and remember that all I've done. And as the people hear that, they try to take that in. Well, what exactly is happening? The people simply were not in the political situation they wanted. They were not in the economic situation that they wanted. They were not in the military situation that they wanted. They did not have the prosperity that they desired. And with those decisions, uh, based on those desires that were not fulfilled, they were stepping back from God. What can we learn from this? What can we learn from this? There is a trap that you might be tempted to measure God's love based on your situations. And if you go through a tragedy or something disappointed, it's very easy to conclude, maybe God doesn't love me that much. And this is false. Life is extremely difficult in some ways for them. And actually, they have some responsibility for that as well. But God's love is consistent, and he's pointing that out. So they fall into some sin and some cynicism. And the ironic part here is they're not really that much different from their forefathers. They've seen their forefathers' pattern, and yet here they are, now in the same situation, not really trusting God's word, not really trusting God, his love, his faithfulness. Sin and cynicism are starting to increase in their lives. Well, is there another option? There absolutely is. And I encourage you to do this. Let's refuse to take God's love for granted.
Let's refuse tonight to take God's love for granted. His faithfulness, his goodness, his provision, let's not take it for granted. And oh, by the way, don't take the love that the people around you have for you for granted either. Don't take anyone's love for granted. Shakespeare says it this way regarding true friendship. He that is thy friend indeed, he will help thee in thy need. If thou sorrow, he will weep. If thou wake, he cannot sleep. Thus of every grief in heart, he will thee doth bear a part. These are certain signs to know, faithful friend from flattering foe. I know that's kind of old English, but let me, let me just highlight a true friend will help you, will weep with you, will be awake when you need someone awake. A true friend will bear some of the burden that you're carrying, and a true friend will be faithful. Shakespeare was celebrating that in a friendship level. How much more is God faithful than our most faithful friend? And when you think about the faithfulness and goodness to God, yes, it's his covenant. Don't take Jesus for granted. Don't take it for granted that Jesus came to earth and left the glories of heaven. Don't take it for granted that he was faithful and sinless, that he died in your place, that he was murdered on a cross but didn't shrink back from love, that he was killed, laid down his life for you, overcame the grave, and then promises and is faithful that you're in God's family forever. You have peace with God. You have eternal life, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. It couldn't be better what he's given to you, and it's all grace. Don't take that for granted, but stay open and receive the love of God, the truth and love of God, because the love of God is what will change your heart. The love of God is what will fill your soul. Nothing is more important. You have no greater need than to know God and his love. That's the basis of everything we do in Christianity. It is the love and faithfulness of God. Let it sink in. Don't try to shrink it. Don't deny it. Don't take it for granted. Don't just be religious. Keep your heart open and and receive it in abundance because that well never dries up. And if you stop abiding, you're going to get cynical. You're going to slip into sin and you start to do shady stuff. So abide with Jesus. Receive his love. That is the message that God wants the people to know. I have loved you and I still loved you. Even though you messed up a lot, I still really love you. Let that sink in. And that leads to the second question. It's this. Are you questioning or believing what God is clearly communicating? God communicates very clearly. And are you believing or are you questioning? Verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant honors his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master and Lord... Where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? <laughs> so again, here's the pattern. God says, there's honor due my name. And the priests, and he kind of calls out the leaders, how have we shown any contempt for your name? How have we dishonored your name? And it's important to point out here that Relationships are built on respect. 
When respect is missing, relationships break down. Relationships are built on respect. That's true in marriage, to respect one another. That's true in a church, to respect one another. That's true in the community, to respect one another. That's true with one nation to another nation, respect one another. And it's true in our relationship with God that we respect he is worthy, the honor due his name, and we respect our maker, our creator, and our redeemer. Respect has broken down. Where's the love? God asks, I have loved you, but I don't sense love and respect in return. God's sons and daughters. Now, I want to shift here in one way to go from some of the cognitive and the principles to go relational. And in this passage, I said there's incredible love and there's incredible pain. And sometimes in our relationships, there's incredible love and there's also incredible pain. And I love my family so much. And also sometimes in different ways, there's pain in my family. When I followed Jesus, uh, that was back in college because I never grew up knowing about Jesus. I looked around my extended family and I could count over 50 people who didn't follow Jesus. And I'm making that decision to follow the Lord, but I know in my family, the love for Jesus just isn't there. So how is that going to play out in the years to come? Well, I want to introduce you. This is my grandpa, Richard Varco. On my mother's side, he's my grandpa, and he's someone I always had a lot of respect for. I knew the fear of grandpa before I knew the fear of God. And grandpa was strong. He was the smartest person I ever met. And he still might be up there in terms of one of the smartest people. And grandpa was someone, he would make us fresh bread. Grandpa had eight kids. He is a true patriarch. Eight children. Think of all the grandchildren. And here comes grandpa. Well, one thing to know about grandpa is that he was a heart surgeon. And grandpa had a tough childhood, by the way. He overcame a lot. And he was a heart surgeon. And you see a picture here. He is well known when he died. It was in the New York Times. He was a pioneer for the very first open heart surgery. This is back in the University of Minnesota, 1952. And it was a very bold procedure because it had never been done before. There was a little girl that was five years old, had major heart issues. And they took a risk. They lowered her body temperature to 80 degrees and they had 10 minutes to operate on a beating heart that they're watching. And my grandpa was very devoted as a surgeon. And you go to the University of Minnesota, there's different pieces you know, about my grandpa. And uh, you just see a couple other pictures with him, uh, with other colleagues. Grandpa, I remember growing up that there was the Richard Varco picnic. And this was a softball picnic that all the doctors would come to from the hospital, all the families, and it honored grandpa. So you get a picture of who grandpa is and how I looked up to him. Not only that, but I got to tell you, when my parents were divorced, when I was age seven, it was grandma and grandpa that said, you can come to our house and stay with us for several weeks. Part of the healing process to have that bond with grandma and grandpa. And I took that trip several times from Minnesota to BC. And uh, that was a meaningful trip. Grandpa was there for me in many special ways. And being close to grandpa, the one thing I really wanted for grandpa was that he would know God's love, that he would know how good God is, that he would receive God's love. And what I knew about grandpa 
is that he would drive grandma to church every Sunday, but he wouldn't come in. He would drive grandma to church, stay in the car, and read the newspaper. And he did that for years and years and years. It was like he was in the parking lot, but he wasn't really interested in the worship or the word or God's love, and he would drop grandma off, serving grandma, but then he would stay there. And I didn't know, as a new Christian, how do I tell grandpa about God's love? Do you ever feel that with family members or friends, that you love so much and something's so important to you, but it's like, how do I do it? And I'm probably not going to do it right. And it's going to be courage. Instead of talking to grandpa, I would write letters. I would write letters to grandma and grandpa and just talk about how God's changed my life or how God's good or how much God loves them. Grandpa wouldn't write me back. Grandma would usually write me back. But I didn't hear from grandpa, but I kept writing letters because I thought grandpa will read these letters. Grandpa will think about it. Grandpa's smart. Near the end of grandpa's life, I finally in person approached grandpa. I said, what do you think, grandpa, of all these claims of Jesus? Well, what claims of Jesus? You know, and again, he couldn't hear that well at that time. And I'm just trying to share. And I don't think I did it quite right. And I didn't, if I could have it back, I would add a few things. And I would tell, but ultimately, it's not on me. But I'm just saying I learned from that. But here I am with the deepest desire for years. Grandpa's getting older. Grandpa's not doing well. I just want him to know God's love. And I have another grandpa in his 70s that I shared with him. And he opened up his heart and he received God's love. And it changed him. It changed the way he talked. It changed the way across the board. This is a changed man. There was a kindness. There was a purity. There was just an eagerness to know God more. And I, I was my other grandpa. I saw that, but I just could not change the heart of my grandpa to receive God's love. And I don't know the full story. And I don't know how everything plays out. That's God's, not mine. But I can say that in all my conversations and interactions with my grandpa Varco, I never saw any desire around God's love in a relationship with God. And I share that because maybe you're expecting, oh, waiting for the happy ending. Uh, I don't really have one in that relationship. And I'll tell you why that was hard for me on many levels, but on one level, I just believed when I came to know God and his love was so good and I love my family and I love God and I'm going to share God's love. And it's like, who wouldn't want God's love? Like, I'm sure my family's going to believe. I'm sure they are. And this is the first one that his whole life and even his last conversation with me, there was just no indication that he wanted God or God's love or any part of God in his life. Um, and there was just no indication. And uh, that was a jolt for me. That was a jolt. On top of that, at that time, you see a picture here, but our family asked me uh, to lead the funeral. So I led grandpa's funeral. I love my grandpa. I honored my grandpa. Ultimately, he's in God's hands. Uh, but I got to tell you, that was one of the most difficult things is to love my grandpa and have him uh, just not want anything to do with God in Jesus. Uh, 
And that is tough. Love and pain, and it's together. And I just don't want you to skip over this text and just get principles and miss God's heart on his love for us and then the pain in the rebellion and the unbelief. And I'm sure there's a lot of people in this room who have family members, loved ones, where you've just been praying. I've been praying for a lot of family members for many decades, and I just want them, because I love them so much, just I want them to taste and see how good God is, and I want them to just enjoy God's love for eternity. I want that so much, more than anything in my life. But I can't force my grandpa or anyone else to receive God's love. And I couldn't force you to open up your heart and receive God's love because it's a relationship where everyone makes their own decisions. But I want to communicate this text as God calls us into this loving relationship where we receive and we honor him. Well, what were the specifics here? Look at verse 7. God says, you place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Offerings were a big deal. Sin was a big deal. Sacrifice was a big deal. There was a system that might not make a lot of sense to you initially. It didn't when I started to read the Bible. But I'll tell you, this is the system that with sin, there's uh, the necessity for a payment for sin. That's why we have the necessity for the shed blood of Jesus that pays for all of our sins. He took our place. As a foreshadowing of that, animals were offered to God. Not as a complete, you know, wiping out of sin, but as an offering, as a covering in one sense, and as a foreshadowing, the sacrifice, Jesus, fully God and fully human, in our place. And part of that system then was to bring animals to God. Now, this is where you got to be careful in the interpretation. They brought diseased animals to God. They didn't bring, you know, the animals without the blemish. They brought the diseased animals. This text does not say that someone who has a disease is less than someone who doesn't. It does not say that. I can't, you know, emphasize that emphatically enough. It's not what this text says. But in bringing their offering to God, they brought the diseased animals. And you can see how easy that would be to do for convenience, practical. God, we're going to give you this diseased animal since that animal is going to die and that sacrifice is going to be made and then we'll still have the really good ones. This one's going to die anyway, so you might as well take the diseased one. God, there, you take that one. We're keeping the good one. You see how that thinking goes? God, we'll keep the good one. Here, you take that one. And God says, hold on. Is this acceptable? If you're governor if you had Inslee over for dinner tonight, well, let's not go there. If, if, if a governor, let's just keep this general, if a governor came over to your house, would you pull out the milk that's expired and sour and chunky with yogurt in that thing? 
Would you pull out stale bread? Would you serve up a peanut butter sandwich that you dropped on the floor? Would you say, oh, here it is, mold and everything, just go ahead and enjoy? No, you wouldn't. That's your governor. We're talking about the high king of heaven, and you're going to bring what's your offering to honor God? And that's what God pointed out. Now, the priests knew better. Leviticus 21, Leviticus 22. Here's what's acceptable. This is not acceptable. And what did they do? They brought offerings, leftovers, shady offerings to God. And then on top of that, notice what they said. How did we not honor you? How did we not honor you? What didn't you like about our diseased offerings? And what does this tell us? That they had lost sensitivity to sin. Ooh, have you ever lost sensitivity to sin? Have you ever just swiped right and just kept looking and then looked at the next one and then just put down the phone like nothing ever happened? Nothing to confess. No change here. No repentance needed. Uh, just strutting into church like, oh, there hasn't been any sin this week. Has there been any sin this week? Oh, no, how have we dishonored you, God? Uh, uh, there's been no sin, no self-consumption, no selfishness, no silence about the gospel, no ignoring needs in people. There's been no lack of prayer. We've been in, is that? What's really going on? They had had a pattern of sin where they lost sensitivity to sin. They're just acting all self-righteous, and yet they needed to repent. And God is pointing this out to them. And look at their response, verse 12. God says, but you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food, it is contemptible. And look at verse 13. And you say, what a burden. What a burden it would be to have to go to church every weekend. What a burden it would be to pray. Oh, now you're probably going to ask us to share our faith. What a burden. What a burden to care about the nations. What a burden to repent. You want us to do that too? What a burden those things would be to be dedicated like that, to honor God like that. Oh, what a burden. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But their attitude, oh, no. The Lord says, this is the Lord's table. God is calling them to change their attitudes and change their actions. You know what's going on? They've lost their love for God. When you lose your love for God, things feel like a burden. Oh, God wants me to do that too. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. The relationship had deteriorated so much that now they just saw God as rules. Rules without relationship, it leads to rebellion patterns of rebellion where they don't even see their need for repentance. And this is what God says. This might stun. He says, verse 10, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among among the nations, says the Lord Almighty, ten times in Malachi, my name for the honor due, my name. Honor the Lord. He says, 
it would be better if you just shut the doors of the church than this nonsense. Now, I'm not saying that about our church. By God's grace, we have a healthy church. I believe we worship God in spirit and truth here. But I also know that many in my family grew up in churches that were legalistic, harsh, mean, hypocrisy, and the scars run so deep. And there's stuff that goes on and junk that goes on and abuse that goes on in some churches. They would actually be better if they shut the doors. Some churches teach things that are totally against God's word and God says, just shut the doors of that church. That does not honor my name. That's the furthest from who I am. Racism is diametrically opposed to the gospel. It'd be better if you just shut the doors, God says. Don't play the religious games like you've honored me. Look where your hearts are. Look where your relationships are. And repent and repent. They rebuilt the temple, but it's their hearts that needed to be rebuilt. They had the temple. The temple's back open, but their hearts were far from God. And as you take that in, you say, well, what's God's vision? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We read about in the Bible, God, would you bring a fresh wind from the Holy Spirit? God, would you bring a fresh fire from the Holy Spirit? And God, through the Holy Spirit, could there be a fresh smell? Could there be a fresh aroma in the sound? You know, a lot of people like the aroma of coffee. It's like, oh, so good. The aroma of Christ, Paul says, that that looks like Jesus, that walks like Jesus, that talks like Jesus, that acts like Jesus, that smells the aroma of Christ. I just smell Jesus when I'm around you because you're receiving so much love from God and the love of God is flowing through you. God loves you, God likes you, God cares for you. Receive his love. Because if you don't receive the abundance of his love, you're not going to have much love for God, and you're not going to have much love for other people. You can't skip over the receiving part. And I was thinking back as we wrap up, when I was in love with Lori, when I met Lori, and I had waited so long waiting for the right person, and it is good to wait for the right person, that when I met Lori, fell in love with Lori, here's some of the things in our relationship. What is it like to be in love? I could not wait till the phone rings. I was waiting for the phone to ring. And if it was her number, that was the number I was waiting for. And then to hear her voice and to hear her heart, not just her voice. More time, please. 2 a.m., no problem. We got time. But your schedule's full. We got time. We got time. We got time. 2 a.m. Have it. She usually fell asleep. I was still awake. 2 a.m. That's a real thing. Uh, when I was on the phone with her, this is all that matters. This is all that matters right here. And I'm going to bring my best. Like we're getting together because we did long distance for a while. What am I wearing? Where are we going? What restaurant are we going to? I'm bringing my best. She has my attention. And I just want to know, uh, what do you think? Um, I want to respect you. I want to honor you. I want to know you. What do you like? What do you really like? 
And this is starting to get convicting because I need to love my wife like I loved her when I first met her, right? But what makes you happy? Sacrifice? Oh, that's nothing because I'm in love. I'm in love. Sacrifice? That's nothing. I'm in love. The Bible says come back to your first love, a secure love. Here's the summary. A false security. By a false security, they put their security in the priests, in the ark, in the Bible, in the land, in the temple, in their money, in idols, in rituals, in religion. All that is a false security. But instead, abide with the Lord. False security leads to complacency, apathy. But a real security, a real love, it leads to a fervency. Here's the message. Return. God says return from exile. And then here's the second part, rebuild. Come back to the church. After COVID, return. As the Lord leads you and is safe here, return. And then rebuild. Look for a place to serve. Make a difference. Serve one another. And then here's the third part, revival. Returning, rebuilding. But we're not just building a little something. This is for God's name and his glory, locally, globally, his renown in the nations. We offer our best. We bring our best. This is what we don't want to do. We don't want to take God's love for granted. We don't want to stop receiving God's love. Receive God's love every day. Drink deeply. Don't take his love for granted. We repent from our sins. We believe what he says. And then we offer our best to the Lord. My prayer is that coming out of like exile here, for us, COVID exile in some ways, is that the spiritual temperature would change. The spiritual temperature would change. It wouldn't be the same as it was before COVID. Exile, the spiritual temperature needed to change. But the people, they didn't really want the spiritual temperature to change. So how does the spiritual temperature change? When you open up your mind and your heart and your soul and you receive the love of God and you find your security and your identity in God's promise, his presence, his power, you get secure. And with that secure love, there's a fervency that the world cannot stop. world cannot stop. A revival is based on the love of God. It'll never be based on anything else but the love and presence of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, that you uh, overwhelm our stubborn hearts with your grace and your love and your kindness. And Father, it's so easy for all of us to simply skip over that receiving, skip over that abiding, and just to run on our own strength with the patterns of the world and the pace of the world and knowing some Bible principles and knowing a few Bible stories to just dig our heels in and have some habits that aren't life-giving and have some sins that we haven't repented. And Lord, drop some idols that we've been holding on to. It's so easy for us to do that just like we read about here. God, the last thing we want to be is religious and in a rut to focus ourselves, God, on performance and Lord, to be in denial. That's the last thing we want, is to walk around self-righteous and actually have hypocrisy. God, we pray that you would renew, Lord, that we would return, we would rebuild. There would be revival in this place for your glory. It's your presence that we want, God. It's that you would change lives and you'd change our families and you'd change our hearts. And we know your love is the only way this will ever, ever happen, but we long for it and we cry out to you. 
And God, we still ourselves. We just still ourselves in your presence, longing for your revival, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yo, subscribe to the YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.